0: Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's word together. Today is Palm Sunday, and Matthew 21, we're looking at the very first Palm Sunday, and it's actually a parade. Now, I don't know about you, but... I don't know how many of you in here would say that you love parades, right? Like you just, you love the marching bands. You love the fact that uh, there's uh, vehicles in it, these old vehicles, or you like the fire trucks or the dancers, or you like seeing the horses or the floats, or maybe for you those are the things that you hate most about parades. You hate the dancers, you hate the floats, you hate uh, the vintage cars, you hate all of that kind of stuff, but love them or hate them, we know what they are. And I was thinking about a few parades that I've seen in my life. I remember when I was a kid going to Disneyland uh, from the West Coast. So that's where we went. Maybe you went to, you've gone to Disney World, but you've seen the Disneyland parade that goes right down Main Street. And I remember as a kid, it was so exciting to see Mickey Mouse and Goofy. And uh, you saw the Toy Story characters going by. It was a really exciting, fun parade. Uh, I also, just a couple of years ago, uh, we took our kids to the Clarksville Christmas Parade. And let me tell you, there's a big difference between a Disneyland parade and a Clarksville parade, but our kids loved the Clarksville parade. They loved getting the candy. They loved seeing the hundreds of stormtroopers that were out there, the different floats. They really enjoyed that whole experience. Uh, I often say that there's a fight in our house every Thanksgiving. Will we or will we not watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade? I hate the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. There we go. But Jan always wins, and we end up watching it. So um, (laughs) I don't like it. I actually root for one of the balloons to pop. Um, But uh, maybe that's bad. I don't know. But uh, we, we always have this argument. Will we or won't we watch this parade? But then, of course, being a kid of the 90s, being a Chicago Bulls fan, I watched the greatest player go to the promised land six times, win those championships. And so I got to celebrate watching the Chicago Bulls storm down Chicago and raise up their trophies, give their speeches. It was always so exciting to me to see that. But the the point of a parade is to honor or celebrate someone or some event. The Clarksville parade was to celebrate and usher in Christmas Uh, The Disneyland parade was probably to celebrate how much money you're spending there. I don't really know, but that's what it might have been there for. The Chicago Bulls is to celebrate the fact that Michael Jordan's the greatest player that ever lived and was playing it and won so many times. But what we're seeing today in our text is a parade celebrating Jesus on the very first Palm Sunday. Jesus was being paraded into Jerusalem and celebrated as this revolutionary new king the Jewish people believed that he would be and so this parade in Matthew chapter 1 or chapter 21 had dramatic and direct implications for the people then And it has dramatic and direct implications for us now. And as we look at this parade, you and I have to consider, contemplate, and respond to who Jesus is and who we are in relationship to him. In fact, today's message title is Parade Palms and a Proposal. Because what we're going to see today is that Jesus, we have to respond to Jesus by either celebrating him or there's a proposal, a question that we all have to answer is who is Jesus? So let's begin to walk through the very first Palm Sunday, Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you. And immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he shall send them at once. Let's just pause right there real quick because I've been reading this a lot this week and uh, uh, being in church for as long as I have as well. I've always found that very funny because in a way Jesus is encouraging the disciples to do some grand theft donkey right now. Like it's kind of a funny passage. It's one of my favorite lines in the entire Bible because think about it. How crazy is this? Jesus is like, hey, go over to that town and go take this donkey that's going to be chilling right over there. And if anybody questions you say, the Lord needs this. And they're gonna be like, oh, okay, go ahead and do that. If I did that today, if I saw you leaving and I really liked your car. And I walked up and I said, the Lord needs this. Give me the keys. You're either going to punch me in the face or you're going to call the cops on me, right? Like this doesn't work now. But I love the fact that Jesus knew that this was happening and the disciples were so obedient to him. So you can write it by verse three and say it's Grand Theft Donkey right there. So verse four, it says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, this This prophecy here in verse 5 is from the book of Zechariah, and it was prophesied in 518 BC. So it was a long time ago from this point. It says, Say to the daughter of Zion, or Zion is another way of saying Israel Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they put them their cloaks. And he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Verse 9. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna can be translated, save us. Verse 10. And when he had entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying... Who is this? There's the proposal. Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. People on this original Palm Sunday heard and had to respond to Jesus. And the same is true for us today. This isn't some ancient story for us to read and go, oh, I really like Jesus riding on a donkey, or I really like palm branches, or I like parades. This is a cute story to read right before Easter. Like, this is a nice story to read and then close it up. No, it's so much more than that. Because the story that we just heard in Matthew 21 is going to force us to respond to Jesus just like these people had to. In fact, I see there's three things that we need to respond to Jesus, and the first one is make way for King Jesus. Now, when you heard me say that, you might have actually just sung the song from the Disney movie Aladdin, right? Like, uh, I, I actually, when I was setting this, my kids wanted to watch Aladdin. And one of my favorite scenes is when Aladdin comes in to Agrabah and he's about to meet Princess Jasmine and the Sultan and, the, and Aladdin's on the, the giant elephant and they're singing that song, make way for Prince Ali, right? And there he is, he's storming in, everybody's celebrating. I like to think that this is kind of what was happening here, that the people were shouting and screaming, make way for King Jesus. Like they might've, I think Matthew might've left that part out. Like they were actually singing, make way for King Jesus. Like, I kind of think they were kind of leaving that part out there. But this, this was the, known as the triumphal entry of Jesus. And this would have been a very highly anticipated moment for the Jewish people. Because look again, this, is, this prophecy in Matthew 21 is from the book of Zechariah, and it says, say to the daughter of Zion, or say to Israel, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So visualize this parade with me for just a minute. Imagine what this must have been like. Here's Jesus. He's entering into Jerusalem. And this city is packed. There's just a lot of energy. There's people everywhere. Like people are on top of everybody. And as Jesus is entering into the city, he's coming at a time known as Passover. Passover. Now, if you've been to church for any length of time, you might be familiar with that term Passover. If you don't know what Passover is, it was the time to remind the Jewish people of their freedom from Egyptian slavery. And so the story is like this in a nutshell. Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, hey, you need to let the people go. And Pharaoh's like, no, I think we're good. We're going to keep them into slavery for a little longer. And so God sends 10 plagues uh, to, to Egypt. And the 10th plague is death. But God told Moses, hey, tell the people to put lamb's blood over the doorposts and death will pass over those houses. That's where we get the word Passover from, death passing over. And so the Jewish people did that. Death passed over all those houses. And the next day Moses goes to the Pharaoh and he's like, hey, let the people go. And Pharaoh's like, okay, you win. I'm going to let the people go. And so they're released and they're free from their slavery. And so Passover is a time to remind them of their freedom from the bondage of all of the Egyptian people. And so at this time, Jerusalem would have swelled to over three times its population because there would have been Jewish people all over the country coming into Jerusalem to celebrate this Passover. Passover. And here's what I love about this passage because we have hindsight now. People back then didn't have hindsight. But what I love about this passage is that Jesus is entering Jerusalem as the better lamb whose blood will save everybody from eternal death, that anyone who would believe in him would have everlasting life. That's what I love about this. Jesus is the better lamb. And so here's Jesus. He's entering into his last week of his earthly life He's heading into this city, and he's eventually going to be betrayed and arrested. He's going to be tried and then crucified. Now, people at this time, again, they didn't know this. They didn't know the whole story. We have the privilege of knowing the whole story, but not everybody knew the whole story. And so they didn't know this, and they see Jesus coming into the city, and they would have thought about this passage from Zechariah, and they would have said, look, our king is coming. Because they anticipated this coming king, that there would be this coming Messiah, that there would be this one who would overthrow the Roman occupation and restore Israel to its rightful place. And up until this time, there's been a lot of talk and discussion and and kind of rumors going about, is Jesus really this king? Is he really this Messiah? Is he really this anointed one that we've been waiting for all this time? And they would have thought, yes, yes. This is the day. This is the moment that we've been waiting for. Make way for King Jesus. Because look what's happening. Jesus is being greeted as a king. And they were celebrating because they thought Jesus was going to be this great general, this great political leader, that he was going to come and kick out this Roman occupation and have rule and reign as a political or military ruler. They thought of Jesus as this revolutionary savior to bring freedom and hope to the nation. But Jesus didn't come to be a temporary king or a political king or a military king. Jesus was coming to be the king of their heart, the king of their soul, and the king of their life, and the king of all of their eternity. And the same is true for us today. And really, that's the entire message of the of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It is all about Jesus coming to save us and redeem us and bring us back to a relationship with God. That was the mission of Jesus, that God would reveal himself not to be distant or removed from us, but that God would arrive, that God would show up to you and to me. And he did that in Jesus quite literally. There'd be no more prophecies, no more angels, no more visions, no more dreams. He came to earth himself. God came among us to rule and reign, not in some temporary way, but Jesus came to rule and reign in our hearts where there was chaos and bring peace in our hearts, to come and rule where there was hatred in our hearts and bring love, to come in and rule where there was sin in our hearts and bring redemption. To come in and rule and reign where there was despair in our hearts and bring hope. See, that's why Jesus came then, and that's why Jesus is still coming today. So if you're a believer here today and you want to respond to Jesus, this is the way that you respond to him. You celebrate the fact that Jesus came to forgive your sins, that he came as this perfect lamb, the better lamb, to to wash away your sins and to give you everlasting life, that he was the sacrifice that would give you eternal life. And so you celebrate him today. You worship him today because of that. But here's how you respond if you don't know Jesus. He's coming to redeem you and to forgive you of your sins. You need to make way for him to do that. He's going to be the hope that you need and to fill that void and that emptiness that's in your heart right now. And so you need to make way for Jesus to do that today. Here's the second thing. The king is at the gate. King is at the gate. Verse 8, it says, Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees And spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So picture this. Here's Jesus. He's entering into the city of Jerusalem on a donkey, he's entering into these city gates. Now, No one really knows what gates Jesus entered into. Some have speculated that Jesus would have entered into the city gates known as the golden gates or what's known as the mercy gate. And the reason for this is because kings and dignitaries would have come through there and would have been greeted by all the people and all the official people of Jerusalem. But others have speculated that Jesus would have gone through a much more humble gate known as the sheep's gate. And the sheep's gate is where shepherds would have taken sheep to the temple. And what's interesting uh, is that the sheep's gate is right next to the temple where the shepherds would have brought them in and, and slaughtered the sheep for the sins of the people to atone for their sins. But again, nobody really knows what gate Jesus entered into, and that's not really the point. We don't, Jesus isn't going to ask us a multiple question, which gate did I enter into? Like, that's not it. The point of all of this, and the thing I want you to notice is, did you see how he entered into the city gates? Because I think this is a powerful image. Jesus was at the center of this procession. He was at the center of this parade. See, I wonder how many of us would say that Jesus is in the center of the procession of all that proceeds into our hearts, into our lives, and into our minds. I know if I'm being honest with you, Jesus isn't always at the center of everything in my life. There are times where worry is the center of my life stress is at the center of my life fear is at the center of my life and when jesus isn't at the center of my life no wonder why i get anxious no wonder why i fret sometimes no wonder why i get worried but let's face it we all struggle with this sometimes it's not fear worry or stress that can be at the center of our lives but it can be stuff It could be possessions, it could be power, pleasure, prestige, popularity. It's all the things that we want. See, we allow so many other things to be at the center of our lives. And the question that we need to wrestle with today and what we need to respond with is what is at the center of your life? What are you allowing to be in the spotlight of your life? Maybe for you, it's not so much things as it is an idea, or a philosophy, maybe it's a relationship. If I could only have this boyfriend or girlfriend, if I could only get married, maybe for you it's that's what it is. What is at the center of your life? What's interesting to me is that these crowds were here and they were shouting, Hosanna, save us. They were making him the center of their lives, but in a few short days, they would push him aside and say, crucify him. He once was at the center, but he was quickly pushed to the side of their lives. They're like, ah, oh, we don't need Jesus anymore. We don't, we don't really care about that anymore. Yeah, go ahead and just crucify him. See, we still have the same response today. He at one time could have been at the center of our lives. But as time goes on, we've just kind of pushed him out and made him stand on the fringes. Made him stand on the outside of everything in our lives. And we're making him watch what's truly at the center of our hearts and what's truly at the center of our lives. See, Jesus isn't some sort of bully that's going to browbeat you to make him the center of your life. He isn't going to guilt you into it. He isn't going to force you to make him the center of your life. That's a decision you have to make. That's a choice you have to make today. The crowds made that choice. You have to make that choice The crowds were taking off their outer garments. They were kind of giving Jesus this red carpet treatment. Not only that, they were cutting off palm branches. And that's where we get this name Palm Sunday from, from the palm branches, because Jerusalem is littered with palm trees. And so they're cutting these things out, and they're praising him, and they're worshiping him. They're waving these palm branches around. They put Jesus at the center of everything in their lives. He was the focal point. And so here's how you need to respond to Jesus because Jesus is at the gate of your life. And if you're a believer here today, you just maybe you need to be reminded that Jesus needs to be the center of everything in your life right now. Maybe for you, you just need to take off some of those outer garments, the stress, the worry, the fear. You need to take those possessions and all of those relationships and you just need to lay them down. And you need to bring Jesus back into the center of your life and you need to worship him As the center of your life. Or maybe you're here today and you're far from Christ and you've pushed Jesus to the side. Because you don't want him to mess with your life. And let me tell you, that's the best thing that could ever happen to you. If Jesus messed with your life. See, if you're far from Christ today, let today be the day that you let Jesus turn the mess of your life into the message of his grace. See, Jesus isn't afraid of our mess. He wants to be in it, and he wants to help us in it, in whatever that we're facing. See, the truth of the gospel is this, that God stepped into our mess, our messy world, our messy lives, to save us and to set us free. God didn't try to just love us from a distance. He didn't try to encourage us to, hey, you need to clean yourself up first before we have a relationship. He didn't command us to try harder or to live a better life. But because God sent Jesus, his son, God ran into the mess of our lives, ran into our messy worlds. And Jesus did for us what we couldn't do ourselves. And so Jesus is at the gate. The question you need to respond to him today is, is he the center of your life? Here's the last thing. The king will stir up hearts. Verse 10 says, and we, and when he had entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? Now I have three sons, and my youngest one is uh, Dawson, and he is the character in the family. He's the one that if I ever go, Lord, how do I apply this to my life? I don't, sometimes don't need to look any further than Dawson to know how to apply something to my life. And the thing about Dawson is Dawson is a Dawson. Now, let me explain that for just a minute. You can't use any other adjective to describe him because he is Dawson, and I have tried. There have been times after he's eat, done eating and he's wearing his food or, you know, he's done playing in the dirt. I'm like, man, you are a mess, and he'll, and he'll look at me, and Dawson has a little bit of a lisp, so when I do my Dawson, I have a lisp, and Dawson will look at me and he goes, I'm not a mess, I'm a Dawson, that's what he says, and I'm like... You're a messy Dawson. He's like, No, I'm Dawson. Like, don't push it, because he'll get mad. You know, I, I, uh, I pray for him every night. And when we're praying in his bed, we're together. And I'm like, God, thank you for Dawson. Thinks that he's my boy. Thinks that we get to hang out and have some fun. Thinks that he's a slob, because he is a slob. And he looks at me every time. And he stops me and he says, I'm not a swab. I'm a Dawson. That's what he says every time. And it's not just me. Uh, yesterday, we were at a playground. And Dawson's playing on the playground, and some kid's like, hey, you're a new kid. And he yells out, I'm not a new kid. I'm a Dawson. That's what he said to him. It took me forever to fix his hair. He, was, he needed a haircut, but I was trying to work with what I had, and I'm fixing his hair, and I finally get it right. And I'm like, oh, you look nice. And he goes, he looks at me, and he messes up his hair right in front of me. And he goes, I'm not nice. I'm a Dawson. That's what he said to me. <laughs> And I love that. He is not confused on who he is. He knows who he is. See, the question for you today is, do you know who Jesus is? See, Jesus isn't confused on who he is. He knows who he is. But do you know who he is? See, Jesus, this question, who is this, was asked of his entire life. In fact, when Jesus was with his twelve disciples, or with, when he was twelve years old, um, Jesus was uh, Joseph and Mary did this uh, trip with Jesus, and they're traveling, and they're done with their trip, and they're starting on their journey back home, and um, like they, they lost Jesus for three days. Now, side note, if you're a parent here and you feel like, man, I've been a terrible parent, I've done some things wrong, look, you didn't forget your child for three days, okay? So that should give you some hope right there, right? That you're a good parent, that you'll be fine. Like So Mary and Joseph, they have this like home alone moment. They don't know where Jesus is. And so they go back to the city and they're frantically searching for Jesus. They're looking for him. They're like, where is Jesus? And they find him in the temple. And Jesus is teaching and he's asking questions about the different uh, things. And he's, he's talking to the different religious leaders in there. And this was the question that it was said. is It said this, that they were amazed at his learning. And they said, who is this kid? All throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, at every moment, people would always ask, who is this? Who is this, the crowd said, that teaches with such authority that we've never heard before? Who is this that calms the wind and the waves, asked the disciples? When Jesus got in the boat with the disciples and said, let's cross the Sea of Galilee and get to the other side. And we're in, they're in this boat and all of a sudden this great storm comes up over them and the disciples are freaking out and they wake up Jesus and Jesus rubs the sleep out of his eyes and he rebukes the storm. And the disciples said, who is this? Who is this, the crowd said, who brings um, sight to the blind, speech to the mute, who helps the deaf hear, who helps the crippled walk? Like, who is this? Over and over and over again, that question was asked of Jesus. Who is this? Jesus even asked this question a couple weeks before this moment in chapter 21. He was with his disciples. He gathered them together and he said, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, you're an ancient prophet, you're Elijah come back to life, or you're John the Baptist who's come back to life, and they're in this room and they're speculating and they're answering this question about Jesus, and Jesus just stopped all the speculation and he said, he looked straight at his disciples and he said, but who do you say that I am? You see, it's easy to speculate what other people say about Jesus, but who do you say Jesus is? See, that's when it gets personal. personal. It's when it gets real, and that's when it gets quiet in the room. And in the silence of that moment, that's when Peter just blurted out. He was like, "Uh, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the living God. And Jesus looked at Peter, and he said, yes, you've got it, Peter. You know who I am. And that didn't come out of your puny little mind. The Father up in heaven revealed it to you, who I am. You see, the most important question in all of human history is, who is Jesus? What was being shouted and what was being speculated on this very first Palm Sunday of who Jesus is, is the same question that he's still asking today. Who do you say Jesus is? Because the truth is this that Jesus is the king of kings, he's the Lord of lords, he's the Alpha and the Omega, the Prince of Peace. He is everything. He is the Lord of lords, and he's coming to you. But the question for you today is, will you allow him to be the king of your life? Will you allow him to be the authority in your life, the guide for your life, the truth teller for your life, the hope for your life? So who is Jesus? Some of you might say, well, you know, he was a good teacher, he was a good example, He was a compassionate person, but he wasn't God. You have to decide whether today Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. That's the choice you have to make today. The reality for all of us is that we're going to make that choice today. And one day we're all going to die. And I checked the statistics on that today, and it's actually quite shocking. One out of one die. So you are going to die someday. But if you were to die before your head hit the pillow, would you have a rock-solid assurance beyond a shadow of a doubt that you would spend all of eternity with God? See, some of you might say, well, I hope so. I think so. I mean, I guess so. I I don't know. Eternity is a long time to be assuming, guessing, thinking, hoping, speculating on it. This is about rock-solid assurance. See, God doesn't want his kids to wonder or, or think about or be confused if they're actually a child of God. God wants you to have a rock-solid assurance about who you are and who God is and where you're going to spend all of eternity. And I want you to have that assurance as well because I have that rock-solid assurance. And why do I want that for you? Because I know what kind of a game-changer it is for how you lead your life today when you know where you're going tomorrow. Now, some of you might think, well, you know, I think I'm good to go. I mean, I've been in church most of my life. You know, I think I, 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 you know, my attendance isn't the most perfect attendance. Like, I miss a few weeks here and there. At least I'm here today. I'll be here Good Friday. I'll be here Easter. I might even throw in the bonus of Baptism Sunday. You know, so I've got all of it covered. I'll be back in Christmas time. I've got the major holidays down. I think I remember everything from Sunday school. I think I remember all the right beliefs. I know about Jesus. I know that he came to this earth. He lived. He died on a cross. He rose again three days later. He ascended into heaven. And I remember hearing that he's going to come back one day for us. So I think I'm good to go. I know all of the right stuff. The Bible tells us even the demons know all of these things. The demons have a good theology, they have a good belief system, but they tremble because they don't have a saving faith. Because it's not simply knowing about Jesus, it's about believing, receiving, and surrendering your life to him. It's about surrendering your life, your hopes, your dreams, your failures, your relationships. It's about surrendering everything in your life and trusting Jesus with your life. It reminds me of the very first Christian sermon ever preached by Peter in the book of Acts. And there's Peter. He's preaching to thousands of people. He's preaching on the good news, the gospel of Jesus, and they yell out, we believe. But they say, but now what must I do to be saved? You see, they understood the difference between knowing about Jesus and surrendering their life to Jesus. And I pray for you today, and I've been praying all week. I prayed last night today that you would come to know Jesus, that you wouldn't just know about him, but you would have a relationship with him, that you would surrender your life to him today. So here's how you respond. If you're a believer here today, celebrate, sing, That Jesus has stirred up your heart. That you know that he has come and he is alive in you. And that one day you're going to spend all of eternity with him. We're going to sing a song here in just a minute. Maybe you just need to just shout out the words and praise him because of what he did for you. But if you're far from Christ today, my prayer has been that you would come to know him. That you would know that he's at the gates of your heart. That you need to make way for him. And my prayer is that he would stir up your heart to see that you have this hopelessness beyond him. And so if that's you here in just a few moments, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus, to surrender your life to him. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash Story.